Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is John. I'm one of the members of the ministry team here at Transit Church, and I want to say good morning. Thank everyone for coming here uh, to worship with us this morning, and it is going to be my privilege to continue on in our series in James. Just like it said there, you know, live your faith. Uh, I really, really like this letter. This is one of, one of my absolute favorite books in the whole Bible, and I'm, I'm so grateful for this letter and the fact that I get to preach a sermon in this series. Uh, back in 2003, this letter really changed my life. I was over in Korea. Uh, I was a, an armor captain, and I was about to take my second command up in 4th Squadron, 7th Cavalry. Uh, you know, I was really excited to be there, uh, getting ready. I wasn't, for those who, who've done that before, I wasn't excited about inventory and all the different line items of stuff because I was becoming a headquarters commander, so I had an aid station, a di dining facility, and a bunch of other stuff. But anyway, one of my first Sundays in country, I went to the little chapel, which was basically two doors down from the room that I stayed in. So I go in there that morning, hey, let's get into chapel. I haven't even met the chaplain yet, but... You know, let's hear what he's got to say. And he preached a message out of James chapter one. And if you remember, that's when he talks about the person looking in the mirror and then turning away and forgetting what they look like. And uh, it was it was one of those mornings. It was one of those mornings where I felt like it was just me and him in the chapel. Now, granted, where we were at next to the DMZ, there probably weren't many more people than that. But I really felt like it was just the two of us because that message cut straight to my heart because I realized at that point in time that I was what I would consider the, the worst of sinners because I was living like a hypocrite because I knew better and I wasn't following it. So it really changed my life. That's when I kind of made the, the final decision that at the first opportunity that I had that I was going to pursue the chaplaincy. And here I am today. For those who don't know, I am a chaplain now. Um, but I was grateful that through that chaplain that James called me out that morning. And I believe that, that some of you in here today probably feel the same way about this letter if you've been exposed to it. James doesn't, doesn't pull any punches in these uh, short five chapters. He, he keeps it going. And, and knowing this church, I'm sure that you would want God to, to call you out instead of letting you con to continue forth in error so that you get back on track. So I hope you've enjoyed the series up to this point. I think it's been pretty good. It was interrupted in the middle with this little holiday called Christmas, but you know, that's all right. We can, we can, we can get over it. Um, and, but this part of the letter is a real in-your-face part of the letter, but hang in there. We're going to be okay. All right? All right. Let me pray for us before we jump in. Lord, thank you again that we can gather here today and worship. Lord, thank you for your word that guides us. And Father, as, as we're here today and we dive into your word, help us to hear what you have for us. Help us to understand your message and help us to apply that each and every day in our lives, Lord, that we may love you in our hearts, but also show you how we love you by what we do. So, Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll be in James chapter 5. We're going to look at the first six verses. So James chapter 5, 1 through six, and we can read this together. I don't know where it's at in the Pew Bible, but it's on the screen. So here we go. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers you mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So again, in, in your face right here from James. We don't know exactly who James is addressing in this, in this passage, whether it's believers or unbelievers, but whoever he's referring to, these rich have either lost or never had focus on God, depending on if they were believers or unbelievers. Now, the, the context of the passage is talking about riches and wealth and indulgence, but the problem is really not so much about being rich as it is about not focusing on God. The, the indulgences and all those things are, are, a, are a symptom of a greater problem, which is losing their focus on God. So who's James talking to? If he's talking to rich Christians, then they've lost their focus. They had a focus. They were believers. But at some point, their, their actions, their deeds, the, the, the value that they're putting on these things has, has caused them to go astray. So he's telling them to weep and to howl or to cry out. That means they need to mourn. And then implicit, they need to repent. They need to get back on track. If he's talking to rich non-Christians, then if so, they, they probably never had a focus. They've always been focused on other things. They've always been focused on gaining this wealth and, and living in indulgence and living dishonestly. And if so, then they need to mourn as well. They need to believe and they need to repent. As I was studying through this and had that question in my head, who's he talking to, believers or non-believers? The answer just kept coming back to me is yes. Because either way, this, this isn't the things of God. So it, it, it does matter who he had in mind, but I think he had both in mind because there's something to learn here. Because even though our circumstances may be different, God doesn't change. He's eternal. So let's take a closer look at the accusations that James levels against his audience and, and unpack this a little bit um, as we get ready to move forward. So first, we'll look at verses uh, 2 and 3. They focused on possessions. Their focus was on, was on possessions. These possessions had no eternal value. The, the gold and, and these different things and silver says that they, that they were corroded and that they were evidence against them, that their garments were moth-eaten and that their riches had rotted. There's no, there's no value in these things. What, what he's saying is you can have all of these things and still not have a life that is worthy, that is, that is lifting up, that is uplifting to God. You can chase after these things and still feel empty. We don't have to look very far to see many examples of that um, throughout time, but definitely in our own time, we see that quite a bit. 
the, the, some of the rich and famous, whether they're athletes or actors or politicians or even leaders in the military, have taken their own lives over loss of integrity. Although they had status, although they had wealth, although they had everything that we would say that they needed to live, they didn't have life itself. So that's the first accusation. And these the possessions don't have eternal value, but they're also their earthly value is questionable because we can have money in our pockets. We can have nice clothes. We can have all these things. But who who in the end does it does it really impress? What can we really do with it? It can't change who we are. It doesn't change our character. Um, there was a study that I read a while back, and I forget all the numbers, so I'm not going to try to hit them exactly, but it was looking at professional basketball players and professional football players. Now, I'm not saying that they're of low character or anything like that, but I do know that whatever the number was, it was above 50% end up bankrupt off of these pretty large and lucrative contracts. So they had money, but what was the real value of it? In the, at the end of the day, they wind up bankrupt. So no eternal value, questionable earthly value. And then he says that these are even evidence against them. What they've put their faith in and, and the places that they've landed are evidence against them. So instead of focusing on God, they're focused on possessions. And then the rest of verse three, they also focused on overindulgence. So no focus on God. They're focusing on overindulgence. They hoarded their wealth in spite of Jesus's incarnation, his ministry and his imminent return. At the point in time in this letter, Jesus had had already been been born, walked the earth, had his ministry, was crucified, died and then rose and then ascended to the father. All this has already happened. And in the beginning of this of this letter, we know that James is writing this to a church. So he's writing to people who are conscious of of that fact. Even if the rich are someone else that he's referring to in this passage, the letter itself is written to people who will understand what James is saying. So in spite of all this, these rich hoarded up their wealth. And there's a, an illustration here. Um, I want to turn back to the book of Matthew and it Shouldn't be on the screen, I don't think. Um, but in Matthew chapter 24, there's a parable that, that illustrates this. So it's in Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes, truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites in the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the master has set the church at this point, has set the church in charge and expects them to be fulfilling the Great Commission. But if, if these are believers that he's talking about, then they've lost focus. 
they've started to focus on riches, comforts, who knows, whatever else. But they're not doing what the master set out for them to do. So basically, they know better and they're focusing on indulgence. Now, I don't know how all of how all of you grew up, but there's a similar a similar circumstance that I witnessed growing up. It wasn't necessarily something that I did, but it's something that happens. And that is the infamous house party or having people over when your parents are out of town. It's very similar. You're left in charge. You're supposed to do these certain things. You have rules that are set in place. But yet, so you think you know when your parents are coming back. If you had uh, military parents, they may have set an ambush for you. I don't know. Tell you they're coming back at this time just so they could catch you in the act. Um, I didn't have military parents. uh, But it's, it's that same idea, knowing what to do, but then going and doing something else. So they focused on possessions. They focused on overindulgence. And finally, they focused on dishonest gain. Let's take a look at verse 4. Or not. That's all right. All right. So in verse 4, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So not only are they living lives of indulgence, but they're, they're doing so at other people's expense. They're stepping on the backs of other people in order to live this lifestyle that, that they think is going to provide them fulfillment, that they think is going to impress those around them. But God heard the cries of those that they cheated. There's no, there's no, there's no hiding from God. God knows. There's, there's no... Uh, place where you can go that God is not going to champion the cause of those who are being cheated, the cause of those who are on hard circumstances. Continuing on to verse five, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Now, don't again, the, the day of slaughter is one of those uh, is one of those expressions that it's kind of hard to know exactly what James had intended, but there are, there are a couple of different meanings. So the day of slaughter could look forward to that day when you're supposed to be uh, offering the sacrifice, that day when you're supposed to bring your offering to the Lord, and instead of bringing their offering to the Lord, they kept the offering back for themselves. A meaning that's a little bit, a little bit harder is that As the day was approaching, they literally fattened themselves up, living in indulgence, making themselves a very, a very nice, plump looking sacrifice. So while they've lost focus and they're focusing on other things, they're actually setting themselves up perfectly to to be slaughtered themselves. Complacency. They've they've become complacent and lost their focus. And, And and that's and that's challenging. That's challenging. Because at times things can can just kind of sneak up on us when we lose focus of what we're doing, when we procrastinate or these other things, when, when we know there's something else that we should be doing. And then there is also that implication 
that as they've done all these things, that they've received their reward in full. They, they decided that they wanted to store up their treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy. So as they live that life of, of self-indulgence, they've had it. They've had everything that they had coming to them. They, they had the, uh, the, the fortune that the Lord gave them, and they decided to squander it on other things in this life. And then in verse 6, their conduct fundamentally amounted to capital crimes against the innocent. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So by keeping back wages, by defrauding those laborers, they took clothes right off of their backs. They took food out of their mouths. They left these laborers in a circumstance where they couldn't sustain their families because a lot of these laborers worked for the day. So they would work for the day and they're supposed to get their pay at the end of the day. So they're living not every two weeks um, like I have for a while, um, but literally day by day. So if you keep back their wages today and you want to skip a day in between, that could lead to the death of someone who, who needed to be cared for. So they're, they're basically uh, accessories to, to whatever hardship befalls those who they've defrauded. And they've also denied justice to those who need defense. If, you, if, if people went into court, the, the rich could use their status. They could, they could impress the, the legal system to find in their favor. So again, someone who needs justice, someone who is not in the wrong, could wind up locked up in jail, could, could be put away to, to be further beaten or die of disease or anything else like that. So again, responsible for not taking care of those who needed them to take care of them. So they, instead of focusing on God, they focused on possessions, they focused on overindulgence, and they focused on dishonest gain. Not just gain, but dishonest gain. The warning for us today, for our society, and for our church is the same as it was when James wrote his letter. And again, this is by implication. James is, is imploring us to maintain focus. We have to maintain focus. And James has a, a short formula right in this letter in verses uh, 26 and 27 of chapter 1. James writes, If anyone thinks, his, thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So he's, he's challenging his, his readers to control the tongue. And I will add, control your thumbs in our days of social media. A good friend of mine uh, who I went, I played football with him in elementary school and then we separated for a few years and then we linked back up at Cincinnati, uh, where he played on the defensive line, talks about Facebook, and he's like, you know, people on Facebook are, are fake tough, you know. Um, they, they get on there and, and, and go into these rants and, and become someone that, that they're not. So we, but we want to control that, because the tongue is said is, is wicked above all things. Such a, such a small organ can control uh, our, whole, our whole existence and our whole being. Defend the powerless, orphans, widows, outcasts. Look for those who are 
less fortunate. Look for those who need our assistance and then resist worldly pollution. Now, about, I think it was two weeks ago, um, when Nick was preaching, he told us we need to stay engaged in the world, but not be polluted. So this isn't circle the wagons and, and don't engage with the world, but we want to not take on those values. In fact, we need to stay engaged in the world because some of those who are less fortunate aren't just those who lack something materially. They're those who lack this very message. And if we keep this message to ourselves, then we could be holding back and being complicit in their own destruction. We want to resist the ungodly desire for possession, status, power, comfort, fame, meaning, and all of those things. We, want to, we, we have to resist that ungodly desire. We also have to resist the, the urge to idolize those who have things, to look at other people and kind of covet their lives, to covet what they have going on. We don't want to show favor to, to those who, who have these things. It's like, well, we don't have them, but this, this person does. When we idolize that and set that as a priority, we make ourselves susceptible. But then we also go against what James said earlier in chapter 2. Starting in verse two, he said, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man with shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So it's not just gaining the possessions, but it's also idolizing, looking up to, sitting on a pedestal, those who do and allowing that to alter our own behavior, to alter our own thoughts, to alter our own hearts. Now, let me take a step back here. Take a breath. Because this isn't the easiest place to preach this message. Of all, of all churches, of all Sundays that Jeff is covering for a pastor in Israel, I get James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 in Transit Church in the Kingstown area of Northern Virginia. Please do not think that what you do and who you are as a church is lost on me. So I was going to, when I was thinking about this, I was going to have people stand up, but I guess I, I guess I won't do that because you know who you are. But let me tell, just run down a list that I wrote down without doing any research or without checking anybody's records or anything like that of who is in our church. In our church, we have military service members of, of all branches. We have government civilians who represent all branches and non-military branches as well. Nonprofit workers and non-governmental organization workers, people who volunteer in life crisis ministries such as crisis pregnancy, uh, victims of domestic violence, and, and these other things, medical professionals, social workers, educators, and those who support the, the educational system, stay-at-home spouses, foster and adoptive parents, and that's not to mention all those who, who volunteer here to help us set all this up each and every Sunday who are back with the kids right now. 
So this is a, a, a servant and a service oriented group of folks that we have here. So why in the world am I? Why don't we just skip this? Why don't we just tear this chapter or these, these few verses out and keep on going? So why is this important to transit church? One, because we're subject to temptations and trials as well. They may not look exactly like this. It may not be defrauding people and succeeding on the back of others. But what about trying to control our friends, our co-workers, our spouses and children, trying to control how people think, what people say? We're, we're susceptible to that. We also have the ability to acquire stuff. Jeff often, often reminds us that our church is, is fairly affluent. So we, we have that challenge as well. And then seeking comfort and avoiding challenge. We often do that as Christians. You know, we, we would want our government to be run according to the Bible. We, we would want uh, everyone to be unified under Christ. There's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But comfort isn't promised to us. The opposite is, is promised to us. There's discomfort promised to us. There's, there's challenge promised to us. Blessed are you when people speak ill of you in my name. For so they did to the prophets, right? That's what Jesus says uh, when he's on the, preaching the sermon on the mount. So when we start to let that focus on comfort take over us and, and maybe even put us in a place of compromise, then that is a temptation and a trial that we have to resist as well. We lose focus on God and place focus in other areas. That's a possibility, even, even for us in this church. So we can focus on things like having the right body. We can focus on things like having the right swag. Now, from what I understand, swag stands for stuff we all get or something like that. But, you know, being outfitted with the right car, the right house, the right clothes, having the, the right job, the, the job that, that makes our parents proud, the job that makes our kids proud having the right retirement plan, we, we can begin to focus on these things. We can begin to make decisions uh, based on, th- on these things. And there's still that call out there that, that we must take care of the orphan, the widow, and the outcast. Now, we have quite a few foster and adoptive parents in here and, and people who have taken in relatives and things like that. Uh, we, we have some, some widows that we care for, so, so we're there. We're doing it. But we have to continue doing it. We don't, we don't arrive and say, well, I've, I've taken care of this person. Now I'm done. We have to keep going. But it's really the outcast and how you look at who that is that, that challenges us. Who is the outcast? How about this? Political rivals. I don't know how you voted. I don't want to know how you voted. I don't want to know what you think of the president. But you know what you think of all of that. So... The people that that we look at like they're crazy for whatever decision they made to us, that person is the outcast. And what about non-believers? Again, like Nick was talking about, that we must stay engaged in the world. But we have a tendency to want to stay away from the world, especially those of us who have kids. We don't want our kids to be out in the world getting polluted and getting these these ideas. So we make non-believers the outcasts. In communities that need justice and the word of God, there's a lot of people out there that we have to avoid passing judgment on, whether it's their lifestyle choices 
or, or what have you to say, you know what? Those people are lost. I can share the gospel here with people who don't believe, but this group of people right here, they're written off. There, there's, there's a temptation to do that, and it might not be that conscious. It might just be something right beneath the surface that you don't even realize, but you just have this certain aversion. We can still fall in to some of these temptations. And then finally, the penalty for ignoring God's warnings hasn't changed. I have a, a quote here. Therefore, even if James 5 primarily addresses rich unbelievers, it, is still, it still has value for Christians. Even if we are not ripe for judgment, we need to know how God sees the lifestyle that leads to judgment. Further, no Christian is entirely immune to the sins James describes. We're not immune. We're not immune. Even though we're, we're, we're doing a lot of great stuff in this church, even though the, the, the people in here have impressed me to a level that I just haven't seen in a gathering of, of, of this many people in one place, we're still not immune to the sins that James describes. The rich, believers or not, can certainly lose focus on God. We must actively seek God daily. We must actively seek God daily. So James's message to us today, again, is still the same. It's to keep your focus on God. Though our church consists of, of loving and giving individuals, just like the quote said, you're not immune to losing focus on God or placing your confidence or significance on other things. So when I address wealth, so how do we do this? How do we keep focus? First, we control our wealth, not the other way around. We control wealth. Wealth doesn't control us. In this passage, James did not condemn being wealthy. He condemned the, the ungodly focus on wealth. So I'm not going to get up here at the end of this, of this sermon and tell you that you have to sell everything that you, that you possess, give it to the poor, and become a monk somewhere. I'm not going to say that. But we don't want to have an ungodly focus. So Paul gives us some guidance on wealth management. The first thing that Paul says is we want to be content. Be content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. But if you have food and clothing with these, we will be content. God has given most of us in here more than just food and clothing. But whatever he has given us, whatever he's given you, be content with it. Be humble. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. There's definitely an undertone of pride in these verses that James talks about. Someone who, again, especially if they're believers, has an awareness of God, has an awareness, has a, a pretty fresh awareness of what Jesus has done, what Jesus has promised. People still alive who have seen the miracles that he had done to then go and not only focus on riches, but put other people down in order to gain riches, that, that takes some pride to do that. That takes some, some, some ungodly confidence in yourself to ignore what's going on around you. And then third, be generous. They 
are to do good, to be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share. Be content, be humble, be generous. We just have to manage our wealth, control our wealth, and not allow it to control us. Next, we want to know and grow. Read or listen to the Bible yourself. Sermons are great. I'm not going to tell you not to come listen to sermons. I mean, that'd be kind of weird for me to say that, at least in this setting, right? Um, but hear it, hear it for yourself. Digest it for yourself. And constantly ask the question as you read, what is the implication of this for me? How do I institute what I just read in my own life? What is God calling me or directing me to do? We want to hear that for ourselves because no matter how, how good someone can deliver a sermon, one, it's, it's from a person's perspective, even with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the application of, of a text may be different than something that the pastor says. It may apply differently in your own life. So we want to constantly ask, what does this mean for me? Believe and work. Believe that God keeps his promises. And also believe that God is, is with those who place their confidence in him. Sometimes that doesn't look as, as clean as, as we would like it to, but God is there, even in the tough circumstances. And as we keep faith and belief in that, it, it allows us to stay true. When we start to lose that, then that's when we compromise who we are. That's when we move away from the Lord. That's when we put ourselves at risk. And wherever you are in life, seek to serve God there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter if you technically don't work. I mean, I, I love it when people say my wife doesn't work because I know she works. She works real hard, if only just keeping an eye on me. But wherever you're at, you don't have to, to change what you're doing. Just do it as if unto the Lord. And then finally, assess and correct. Assess and correct. Assess for yourself. Take a, take a good look at, at your own life, where you're at, what you're doing. Am I directed towards God? Is there some places where I can improve? I'll answer that for you. It's yes. Um, that doesn't mean that, that you're not in a good spot, but there's always more. God, there's always more uh, that God has for us. Assess with God's help. Seek him out in prayer. Ask him to, to search you and maybe indicate something that you're missing or just something that you need to see. Look in the mirror and make corrections. This is, a, this is the verse right here that that chaplain preached on that Sunday, uh, James chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. We want to look in that mirror and make the necessary corrections. What we see there isn't always pretty. I know it wasn't for me that day in Korea. I mean, I, I looked in that mirror and was like, wow, wow. I've got a lot of changes to make because I had justified a lot of different things and said, well, you know, this isn't that bad. Plus, I prayed the prayer, right? I got baptized, right? So I'm good with God. But we want to look 
and make corrections. And then ask yourself, are you content? Are you humble? Are you generous in every aspect of your life? Again, that looks different for, for us, but we want to have that attitude and that heart towards these things. This is what Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 4. I have learned whatever situation I, I am in, excuse me, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a challenge. James is talking about abundance here. So that can be challenging. Having things, having stuff, having status can be challenging. And Paul's telling us whether it's abundance or whether it's need, that we can do all things through Christ. That's keeping our focus on God. I honestly believe that, that this church fits that formula that Paul laid out in those verses in Timothy. I believe that people are content. I believe that they are humble. And I, and I know that people in this church are generous. I know that. I know that. Our challenge is to remember that all that is righteous, all that we do do, is because of God and depends on maintaining focus on him. I've got one more quote here. James's warning to the rich is, properly speaking, irrelevant for believers. If we're, if we're running after God and we maintain our focus on God, then what he's saying here is that really this is, this is somewhat irrelevant. We live for God, not well, yet we need these warnings. So they still apply. Whenever we forget the gospel of God's love and grace, the undertow of the world's values threatens to sweep us away. We're always either moving forward or backwards. There's no such thing as staying still. If you think of life as a stream that's flowing against us, then you've got a more accurate picture. We have to continue to move forward. Sometimes that's harder. Sometimes that's easier. But if we try to sit still and rest in the fact that we call ourselves believers, then there's that chance that we're going to get swept back down the river. This text is asking us to look at our lives and to see where we need to vigilantly guard against losing focus, whatever that is for you. One, one, that, I, one that I didn't mention is living through our kids. I am Now that my kids are older, I'm really starting to struggle with this. And I have to remind myself every day that they are their own people. They're going to make their own decisions. We have to remember that we have to remember whose we are and live according, accordingly in every circumstance. We are supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. This means that the outcomes don't matter, but, whether our but rather our focus and our integrity with God. By integrity, sure, I'm talking about truth and honesty, but also talking about being integrated into what God has for us, living for him in every circumstance and every role that we fulfill in our life, living true to him. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for the words that James has. Father, I pray that we can look at this and, and know that there is something here for us, no matter where we are, uh, no matter 
what we do give, Lord, that that you give us this word so that we know that we have to stay focused on you, that we have to continue to put you first, that we have to look to you each and every day to live lives that honor you and that truly fulfill us, Lord, that you will give us joy and contentment regardless of the circumstance and outcomes, but because we focus on you. So Lord, I ask you by your spirit to help us each and every day in Jesus' name, amen.